All right, Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2. I, this is a, I don't know what to do here, okay? That, I know that's not the way you're supposed to start a sermon saying you don't know what to do, but I don't know what to do here. So I, I'm, I'm, I, I'm becoming convinced that reading Paul, you have to read Paul in reverse. You have to start at the end and work your way backwards because taking Paul apart verse by verse is really complicated because um, you're taking apart, you're, if, you read, if you read it the way it's written, right, you're trying to figure out, I'm trying to take the reader through the logical progression of thought that he's giving us. But to do so has to mean that there's a chance by the time we get to his conclusion, right, that it may be different than the parts we're trying to struggle through, if that makes some sense. So it's almost like, on one hand, you have to kind of figure out his conclusion and then teach the conclusion as you're going through the points. I don't like to do that because I would rather a struggle to try to figure out what the conclusion is with the, the, the way it's written. Does that make sense? I like to teach the way it's written, not teach it in the way I read to the end, figure out the conclusion, come back and pose the conclusion on all the points. That's the way you're probably supposed to do so. I'm not following the rules, but the reason I'm not following the rules is because I want you to struggle with it. All right? So we come to Romans 2. We covered it last week, right? Okay. Romans chapter 2. We did not give an outline of the chapter. However, um, Many Bibles, many commentaries, they give this Romans chapter 2. I'm not going to say where it begins or, en- or where it ends. They call this section, at least a good portion of it, probably all the way down to 16, God's principles of judgment. All right? Remember we talked about this? And when we started reading Romans 2, in fact, we'll, just, we'll read through this section again one more time. It can't hurt to read it one more time. Romans chapter 2, starting at verse 1. Therefore thou art art inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art that judgest. For wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself, for thou that judgest dost the same, doest the same things. But we are sure that the judgment of God is according to truth against them which commit such things. And thinkest thou this, O man, that judgest them which do such things? Things and doeth the same, that thou shalt escape the judgment of God? Or despise thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and long suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance? But after thy hardness and impenitent heart, treasure up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. Who will render to every man according to his deeds? Now let's just stop right there. Clearly, what word is used a lot there? Judge, judgment, judges, right? You get the idea? And remember, we made this, that this is a major emphasis. But the, at the beginning of this, there's a contrast being made. And what's the contrast being made? Between man's judgment and God's judgment, all right? And last week we started, remember how we started last week? Second Samuel, right? And what did we look at? Nathan to confront David, right? And he gave him a, a, a little story, correct? And he gave this story as a kind of a, a trap, right? He wanted David to make a judgment, and by David making that judgment, then he applied that judgment to David himself, Nathan did, to, to demonstrate um, or to confront him to, to say, look, you're, you're making a judgment, but you're really judging yourself because this whole story is about you. Right? And I made an argument that when we come to Romans chapter 2, Paul is using a similar, a similar literary device. And he's using this device to lead everyone. By the time you get to chapter 2, by the time you finish verse 32, moral people... Christians, right, Jews, will say by the time they get to verse 32, they will all say in unison, Amen. Because all those people in verses 18 to 32 deserve to be what? Judged and condemned. How does verse 32 end in Romans chapter 1? Who knowing the judgment of God that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. 
Everyone is supposed to say, Amen. These are condemned. Then we go into chapter 2. He sets everyone up because he immediately starts off, Therefore thou art inexcusable. Now, we talked about, the, uh, therefore thou art in, in, uh, inexcusable, O man. And we figured out who the O man was and what were our op- options of who the O man was. Everyone, the Jewish nation, all who are moral or self-righteous. Everybody remember that? Okay. And clearly the moral and self-righteous would apply to the Jews. I believe that there is an argument that by the time we get done with this section, um, if we keep reading down, he's going to make this about the Jews. There's no question making the argument that Romans 1, 18 and 32 was showing that the Gentiles are condemned. Now he's going to show the Jews are condemned. Ultimately, he's going to show that everyone is condemned. Okay. Does that make sense? Okay. But, we applied this to moral people, like people who, who have some you know, sense of morality and they're trying to hold to a moral standard. So this is what we're going to try to work on. Okay, And I'm not going to review everything else we talked about last week. We talked about some important principles about judging, did we not? About some problems. Okay, we'll get into some of that here in a minute. Here's what I need to do, all right? Now, I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit here, and this may be dangerous, but we're going to have to try to, we're going to, have to, try to struggle through this together, all right? Here's what we're going to do. Clearly, chapter 2, I would say verses 1 through 4, there's no question, there's a contrast being made. And that contrast is between what? Man and God. Man's judgment God's judgment, right? Now, this is where they say that this section is giving us principles of God's judgment, how God judges. Now, we see a little bit of this in what verse? Verse 2. But we are, but we are, but we are sure that the judgment of God is according to... All right, there's how God judges. Now, he's condemning how we judge in verse 1... And in verse 3. Now what to do with verse 4 and 5, I don't know. But if we go to verse 6, we seem to clearly have another principle of how God judges. Right? What's the principle in verse 6? He will render to every man according to his deeds. He judges according to works. Now this raises lots of questions, but that's okay. We have to deal with this. Now, the question is, if verse Two gives us a principle of God's judgment. If verse six gives us a principle of God's judgment, how about four and five? Does four and five hold a principle of how God judges, or is it, does it serve as a different purpose? Now, according to one commentary that I have right here, three and four gives us another principle of God's judgment. That's a difficult question. Now, I I bet if we open it up to discussion, we're not going to have agreement. (laughs) Okay, I bet you we're going to get lots of disagreement. Some may say, yes, there's another principle of judgment. And it would be interesting to say if your principle of judgment would be the one that's in this commentary. It probably won't be. All right. So we're going to have to try to figure this out. Does that make sense? So here we go. We're going to do our best to... I, I don't have... Three and four, um, or, or let me look at this again. Yeah, three and four and five, right? I guess, oh no, four and five, I should say. Four and five, these two verses, I, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not sure I know what to do with them, right? I think I know what to do with them, but I'm not sure. So I may change my mind literally in the teaching of this if we can get there, right? This may, because uh, I, it's just written weird. It's Paul. And Paul's right. He's so wordy at times. You're like, can you get to the point? I mean, I don't know people who do talk and talk and talk and don't get to the point. Drive me crazy. Right. So. I know my wife. I'm sorry. I have to deal with her talking so much. Okay. Because, I mean, trust me, it's out of control at times. All right. Here we go. Romans chapter 2. So, I don't even know. Here's what I will say. Verse 6 clearly seems to be a distinguishing point for another principle of God's judgment. Agreed? So, if that is true, then chapter 2, verses 1 through what, where do we stop? 1 through what? I don't know. 
Do we, do we break it into two different points? Because well, how most would break it down is Romans chapter 2, verses 1 through 5 would be God's principle of judgment. It would be God judges according to what? Truth. Right? Everybody see it in verse 2? Okay. So, now, if there's another principle in 4 and 5, then that's where we have, to, we have to figure that out. I don't know yet, but let's back up and let's work through this. Everybody got, everybody got that? All right. Let's do this. The first thing that we see in this section, and I know that we're kind of backing up and kind of adding a different approach, but that's okay. If we have to approach the same verses multiple times for you to get all the shades of meaning, then we're going to do so. If we look at this, what is being condemned? I'm going to read this. I'm going to ask lots of questions. This is going to be very catechism-like, okay? What is being condemned in verse 1 and verse 3? Let's read it again. Therefore thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art that judgest. For wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself, for thou that judgest doest the same things. Verse 3. And thinkest thou this, O man, that judgest them which do such things, and doest the same, that thou shalt escape the judgment of God. What is being condemned in verse 1 and verse 3? Right? The judgment of men. Would we agree? I don't, is there any argument there? Who's doing the judging in verses 1 and 3? Man. Right? Who are they judging? Other people. All right. So this is condemning the judgment of men. Now, we could argue it's condemning a specific kind of judgment, but we have to place what are, what are they judging in verse 1 and verse 3? They're judging other people, but we could argue they're judging other people who are guilty of what? Well, okay, let's be careful. That we would have to, from a textual argument, that they're judging the people who are guilty of the things listed in chapter 1, verses 18 to 32. Because verse 1 begins with, therefore. All right? So, these are the people who see that list of all that horrible stuff done in 18 to 32, and they end verse 32 by saying, they're the ones who will jump up and go, Amen! They deserve death. Right? Remember, this is being set up like David was set up. Right? Okay? When he was confronted. Okay? That's why we started that story last week. Okay? So, that's what these people are judging. They are condemning it. Now, we would agree... What I think everyone agree that obviously the things that they are condemning are okay to be condemned because God himself condemns them. But yet he still goes after their judging. And here's the reason why. Are you ready? Here's the first principle I want you to write down this morning. Man's judgment is flawed. Man's judgment is flawed. Man's judgment is flawed. Now, when I say man's judgment, I am speaking of man, woman, boy, girl, all humans. Humans' ability to judge is flawed. Now, you, I want you to really, I don't know if anyone in this room actually believes that it is. Because how many judgments did you make this week? You probably can't even, you probably made millions of judgments about all kinds of things, right? About people's behaviors, people's actions, things you saw. You made judgments. And to say that you didn't is just just denying reality. We make judgments constantly. So if it's flawed, yet we constantly do it, that says a lot about our, a lot about us, correct? Now, do we really believe it's flawed? I I think we have to believe it's flawed, and he's pointing it out, that it is flawed. Now, last week we gave, remember, two important principles about self-righteousness? Does everybody remember what those were? Okay, just say that again. Number one, uh, what was the first one? We underestimate the depth of God's standard. What What did I mean by that? We only judge the external, right? So we, 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 we'll, we'll view God's standard as, well, I've never committed this, 
Because we are judging it based off the action and not something deeper. God's standards go much deeper than the external. And the second thing? We underestimate the depth of our own sin. All right, these are two principles that everyone is guilty of. That already shows us that there's a problem inside of us, correct? All right, so how, let's do this. How is man's judgment flawed? Why is man's judgment flawed? All right, are you ready? I've got three ways in which our judgment is flawed. We could probably go with more, but three ways in which our judgment is flawed. All right, here we go. And I'm going to simplify them, and then we'll go back and look at scriptures. First, we have a heart problem. Second, we have eye eye trouble. And third, we have a knowledge problem or a head problem. We have a heart problem. We have an eye problem. We have a head problem. These three problems absolutely make all of our judgments flawed. Right? Let's go through. Everyone should know the heart problem, right? Okay. What, what's the reference? What's the scripture reference? What? Jeremiah 17.9. Everyone should know this. Jeremiah 17.9. All right. Jeremiah 17.9. And what does it says about the heart that you currently have? The heart is what? Deceitful above all things. Desperately wicked. Now, some Christians will argue that we don't no longer have that heart, that we have a new heart, and I understand there's some scriptures about this. We could get into a, a discussion, but clearly some of this has to remain inside of us. Would we agree? If it doesn't, then we have a hard time explaining our sin. We have a heart problem. All humans have a heart problem. And when we speak of the heart, what are we speaking of? The center of our being, our will, our emotions, our desires all flow from this, right? Our heart is desperately wicked, is deceitful above all things. Now, if my heart is wicked and is deceitful above all things, how can you therefore make a right judgment? Your judgment would be inherently what? Flawed. Agreed? All right, that is from We have an eye problem, all right? We have an eye problem. I'll go, we, I won't go through all of this. We could, we could spend a lot of time here working this out. But, um, well, go to 1 Samuel 8. We'll see how far. We may just go through all of it. First Samuel chapter 8. Yeah, I probably know this story very well. All right, 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 1. And it came to pass when Samuel was old that he made his sons judges over Israel. Now the name of the first, firstborn was Joel, and uh, the name of the second, Abiah. They were judges in Beersheba. And his sons walked not in his ways, but turned aside after lucre and took bribes and perverted judgment. Then all the elders of Israel gathered themselves together and came to Samuel unto Ramah and said unto him, Behold, Thou art old, and thy sons walk not in thy ways. Now make us a king to judge us like all the nations. All right? What do they see? They see other nations. Right? Is that what they see? And they want to be like everyone else. Right? Their perception is they see, wait, this is how people do things I want to be like. And everyone sees that way. Because people, I mean, I call it the herd mentality. I'll never understand herd mentality. But everyone sees what the group does, and everyone then tries to fit into said group instead of being themselves and being an individual and standing against the group. Everyone does that. That's that's, that's a, a sight problem. They see something, all right? Okay, and we know that they're given a warning about the king that they're going to get. Are they not? Yeah, and they're, uh, does it sound like he's going to be a great guy? Whatever agree... Does it sound like he's going to be a great guy? All right, all right. In fact, look at verse 19. After Samuel gives them all of this, you know, 
really bad news about the king that they want. Nevertheless, the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel and they said, nay, but we will have a king over us. And what is part of the reason they want a king over us? Verse 20, that we may be like all the nations and that our kings may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles, right? They want to be like everyone else. They see, that's how they see. Their judgment is based off what? What they see and what they see is they, their sight determines what they value and a lot, we can get into a host of other things. Go to 1 Samuel chapter 9, verse 2. Verse 1, okay, now there was a man of, of Benjamin, right? Start speaking of this man and look at verse 2. This man had a what? A son whose name was Saul, a choice young man and a goodly and there was not among the children of Israel a goodlier person okay King James there um, than he from his shoulders and upward he was higher than any of the people now what is it referring to him being goodlier (laughs) handsome good looking in other words he is going to appeal to what what they can see He's really tall. He's going to stand above all the people, right? Go to chapter 10. All right, so they go and look at verse 23. I'm not going to go through all this, you know, how Saul ultimately becomes king, but in verse 23 of chapter 10, and they ran and fetched him thence, and when he stood among the people, he was... Higher than, uh, than any of the people from his shoulder and upward. And Samuel said to all the people, See ye him whom the Lord hath chosen, that there is none like him among all the people? None like him in what way? The way he looks, right? And all the people shouted and said, This is who we... Look at him! We've got him! This is awesome! Well, they see... Right? Their sight is how they're judging. They're not judging on anything. Were they not given God's word on what was going to happen with this king? They didn't like what God's word said about what this king was going to do. They saw something. They judged based on what they saw. And our sight, we have an eye problem. All right? Everybody get, got the idea? Look at First uh, Samuel chapter 16. This is a, a common theme throughout the Bible. First Samuel chapter 16, when uh, Samuel goes to try to find a, a new king, <laughs> right? Because Saul doesn't work out so good, right? Okay, and uh, remember all the brothers come, and they're, they're kind of missing one, and the, the, one that they, the one that they're missing is kind of not seen as what? Insignificant? Look, what does God say to Samuel? 1 Samuel 16, 7. But the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. There you have it. What's our eye problem? What's our eye problem? We just see the externals. We just see the externals. That's all we see. So our judgment is flawed. We have a heart problem. We have a sight problem. We have eye trouble. And you can't fix this eye trouble because there's no way to fix it in the sense that that's the way you're, you're always going to see and judge. See and judge. See and, and the minute you see and judge, you better stop and go, what do you not see? That's why it is it not shocking to you? Because there's not a person in this room, and don't even pretend that you are, who if, if David came up here and said, okay, guys, listen, not only did I commit adultery, then I tried to cover up my adultery, and not only did I just cover it up, I got the man killed. So I'm an adulterer and a murderer. And someone, you know, someone's, but you're a man after God's own heart. Yeah, 
even if you read it in the scriptures. There, there's a hard time believing it. Correct? You're like, how is David a man after God's own heart? There are other people in the Bible who didn't do the things David did. Because God sees the heart. Now, it doesn't mean he ignores the external, but the problem is we only see the external. And we're done. We're, we're fin- or they're finished. Like, I mean, we read, we sing songs written by a murdering adulterer. We don't even give it a second thought, do we? No, because it's just in the Bible, so it's all, it's all good. But when it comes to real life, we don't do it the same way, right? No, 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 no. Whoa, you did what? You're done, okay? Wait, 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 with David, we just give him a pass, right? Solomon? I think he took adultery to a whole different level. Okay. Oh, and an idolater. Right? Oh, but we, we read his books and we say, hey, if you need wisdom, read this book written by a serial adulterer and an idolater because it's the best wisdom you're ever going to get. Right? Well, because we perceive it different because God, God perceived that even though these flaws were in these men, there was something there. God sees beyond the extra. We ju- that's what we were just talking in the last hour about how to, these evidences are supposed to prove someone is a Christian or not a Christian. We are judging what kind of evidence? External evidence. But our sight is wrong. It's hard not to do that. Is it, is it true? It's hard. We, we immediately judge. I mean, I know it's a cliche, but we say don't judge a book by its cover. Everyone judges the book by its cover. Everyone judges the movie off the trailer. Ah, oh, that looks dumb. It's a, it's a one-minute trailer, and you've already determined it's dumb? Glad you know more than me. How can you judge something based off a trailer? The movie's two hours long. One minute, you know. Oh, I'll read the back of the book, the little synopsis. Oh, it's a dumb book. Woo. It's 800 pages. You read the synopsis, but you know it's a dumb book. I wish I was as smart as all of you. We all do it, correct? Uh, our, our judgment is all messed up. It's all flawed. It's all, it's all, this is practical stuff. Because he's trying to say, all of these, these people in Romans 2 who are like, hey, those people in Romans 1, they're really messed up. We're in chapter 2. We're good. I mean, obviously, they didn't say that because they didn't know that. But you get, well, we're in chapter 2. I mean, woo! I'm glad we got out of chapter 1 alive because, man, that, those people are really messed up. We're not going to associate with them. And he's like, hey, hey, hey you're inexcusable. And you know why? Because your judgment's all messed up. Because you've got a heart problem, right? You've got an eye problem. And then what's, what's the head problem that we have? What's the one head problem that everyone in this room has? I mean, y'all probably got lots of head problems, but, but if we all, ha- we all have one head problem in common, we don't know everything. We think we do, but we don't know everything. What are we not? Omniscient. We are not omniscient. Omniscient means all-knowing. We are not all-knowing. But we judge as if we are. Do we know all we don't know everything that happened. We don't, we don't understand everything that happened. We, we, we don't. We, we, we hear, we see, we piece together, but we, man, we make judgments quickly and rashly. Here's the point that he's trying to get across. He's trying to get across that these people are judging. Go to Romans chapter 2. I mean, we can, we can, we can summarize this clearly. Therefore thou art inexcusable, O man, whoever thou art that judgest, for wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself, for thou that judgest doest the same things. Now, we've got to be really careful here. When he says do the same things, I don't think he is arguing that they carry out the exact same things mentioned in 1, 18, and 32 in the exact same way, but they are guilty of the same things, what? 
maybe in a different way. We could think of it this way. The people of Romans 1, 18 and 32 are the people who may externally do what the people in 2, 1 through 4 desire, think, and do internally. Does that make sense? There's a lot of people who sit in churches, right, who look at a pastor and they commit murder in their heart and their mind, but they would never be the person who would go out and do a drive-by shooting at 2 a.m. Now, it's easy to sit in your pew condemning the people who did the drive-by shooting at 2 a.m. when you do a drive-by shooting every Sunday morning at 11 a.m. I mean, hopefully you're not all killing me every Sunday morning at 11, but you get the idea, right? Just not with bullets, but inside. You're still guilty of doing, because God judges the internal as well as the external. And the reason they could judge people is because their ability to judge is what? Flawed. And then go to verse 3. And thinkest thou this, O man, that judgest them which do such things, doest doest the same, that thou shalt escape the judgment of God? What does he want them to understand? You're going to be judged too! You're not going to escape judgment. You're guilty of the same thing. Now, what's the practical lesson we get from this? Now, obviously, he's trying to make a theological point. The theological point, he's trying to say, hey, all you self-righteous people who just condemned all of those people in 1, 18 to 32, you're not, you're not, you know, you're guilty too. All right? That, and especially to the Jews. Because the Jews could be going, look at those Gentiles. Man, they do things we would never do. You're guilty. All right? So from a theological point, we get, the, we get the argument. But from a practical point, what's the lesson we should all take away from this? What's the lesson that we should just scream out at us? We have to reconsider how we judge people. Now, are we called to make judgments? Are we? Okay. Give me me a scripture that proves that we're supposed to make a judgment. Okay. Right. Okay, so you go in Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who doesn't stand in the council, right? Sit in the seat of the scornful, right? Uh, we, we're, if we're not to do these things, we have to make some determination. So there is a determination being there. Even in Matthew 7, when it talks about judge not lest ye be judged, if you get further on, it talks about beware of false prophets. Well, how are you going to beware of false prophets unless you make a judgment? So we are definitely called to make judgments. I mean, the Bible's filled with that, is it not? Okay, so what do we have to take from it? How do we draw, it seems like a contradiction, does it not? So how do we draw the parallel here? We have to remember what? Our judgment is flawed. That's the principle you must carry with yourself. Your judgment is flawed. That's why when Jesus talks about judging, what does he tell us to do? Where's the famous passage in Matthew about judging? Okay, everybody turn there. There's a part of me, in fact, my original plan was to just turn into a a topical study on judging. Okay, but there's hundreds of verses about it. um, And I decided not to go that direction, but we will at least bring this one. Okay, verse 1. Judge not that you be not judged. There's almost telling you not to judge. But there's other passages where you're told to. All right, so how do you find that balance? For with what judgment ye judge, you shall be judged. Now stop right there. Now that's an important principle. Right? Remember we talked about this in the last hour. Right? Remember what I stated? that whatever principle you're going to have to judge others by, you're going to have to judge yourself by, and you have to be consistent. You've got to be consistent in how you do so. All right? So you, you've got to be very careful here about how you, how you work. For with what judgment you judge, you shall be judged. And with what measure you meet, it shall be measured to you again. And why beholdest thou the mote in thy brother's eye, but considerest not the beam 
that is in thine own eye. Now that right there is probably the most difficult thing in the world to do. We are quick to pick out what? Everyone else's flaws. Everyone else is wrong. Right? I mean, you, is it not true? You can, can you pick out your kids' flaws pretty quick? Okay. Well, that, yeah, that's a whole different subject. Okay. But we're quick to do so as parents. What are we not qu- so quick? See our own. Right? We're ready. We're, we're there every day, you know. Okay, ooh. Look at that, 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 look at that. And and the kid's like, yeah, could you back up? Because you got like a two by four sticking out of your eye and it's poking me in the head every time you try to come tell me all the things wrong in my life. Now, at the same time, they don't want anything in their life. That's what we do. And it's hard not to do that. And now, give them that. What was the principle I gave in the first hour? What do we start with? Got to start with looking at ourselves. We have to start with looking at ourselves. We have to. You have to. Cannot, I can't. It's just, we have to start with this concept that our, we start with the reality, our judgment is flawed. We have to start with that reality. And we have to start with the reality that, listen, the way I judge others is the way I'm going to be judged. You shouldn't expect any different. And it's easy to condemn everyone, right? It's easy to condemn people. But you're judging yourself. And, 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 and I guess a third thing we can point out there is you've got to start with yourself. I know I'm repeating what we talked about in the first hour, but the text demands I repeat it. You've got to start with yourself. You have to start with yourself. You've got to be more concerned with your sin than the sins of others. Now, I know this leads to lots of problems, like, because... You know, here, here's the thing. Here's what I would like. Here's what. Here's pr- always been the principle I've tried to to hold to. And I, and I tried to apply this in a number of, of. I can give you big examples where I talked about uh, this on, in, in recordings, um, and you could go back and listen. When it comes to false teaching, right? False teaching to me is a very like I'm not dealing with heart. I'm not dealing with motive. I'm not dealing with anything in the individual, right? They teach something, it's on a recording, right? This is their doctrine, okay? Now that doctrine is to be tested with what? Scripture, right? So now it's an academic argument, right? It's like a debate, right? Okay, that's your point, here's the teaching, I can condemn that. But once you step away from false teaching, now you're dealing with a person and now it becomes more complicated, right? So for example, when Rick Warren's son committed suicide, Right, and I took to the uh, to recording a podcast dealing with it. Everyone got mad at me because I was not there to condemn his teaching at that point. Because well, there it's not even like now I'm dealing. I don't know what happened in the family. I don't like who am I? I don't know hearts. I don't know motives. I don't know actions. Who can? I, how can I judge? And there were Christians like hey, the reason his son committed suicide is because his bad theology. Whoa. Whoa, 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 whoa. So you're, you're telling me his son committed suicide because he was reading 40 Days of Purpose and it's like, I can't, this theology is so bad I've got to kill myself? What, what are you arguing? Like, that's, that's horrible to even say. But that's how people, how people did, did things. When uh, the pastor of uh, First Baptist Church in Hammond, Indiana, when his whole horrible, horrible situation went down, he ended up going to jail. When that whole thing went down, I took to the recording, like, you know, what he did was wrong, obviously. What he did was illegal. He should be, he has to go to jail. But let's be careful. And again, people got mad at me saying, and I'm like, look, you condemn false teaching, but you, it's not that I won't condemn it. I said it was wrong. The point is, I don't know heart. I don't know, like, I can't condemn. What, like, teaching is easy to condemn. You know, oh, wait, here's MacArthur's book. Here's page 52. Here's what MacArthur said. Okay, that's wrong. And here's my academic, textual reason for saying that I disagree. Now, guess what? I'm not judging. I don't know anything about his heart. I don't know. I can't judge. I'm not judging the man. I'm judging. He said. And so some people draw. Some people like. Can't make a distinction there. And they're like, man, you're so condemning. I'm not condemning of people's actions. I am condemning of. 
They're teaching because teaching is academic, right? It's like we're having a debate. Like if you want to debate me on the immigration issues, let's debate immigration. All right. All right. Let's talk all day. I got all my facts. I've read this, read this, read that. Let's debate it. Okay. Now, I'm not judging your motive. It's not about your motives. It's about your belief on immigration, my belief on immigration. Let's debate it. Here's all the sources I've read. Here's all the things I... Let's talk about it. What, what have you read? What have you studied? Okay. And now it's going to become an issue of knowledge. It's going to be, that's what, but it has nothing to do with your, your... Oh, you're a racist. Now that's going what? Now I'm judging what I can't know. What can I know? Heart. Now, if you do walk around with a white sheet over your head, okay, there's a possibility I may call you a racist. Right? I'm, I'm, I'm making an allusion to the KKK. Okay, you get, right? Does that make sense? Right? So I think some people draw a distinction there. I think that when, it, when we, we have to realize our judgment is flawed. We have to realize, on all cases, on no matter what we're judging, but just know the difference. When you start going into the person, now you're judging motive, you're judging heart, you're judging desire, and that's where things become iffy. We have to do better at realizing our inability to judge. And, and I think this is very practical in our day and age, right? Because all, all, every political argument now turns into what? Personal attack on what? People's hearts and motives, right? I mean, if I hear one more time that Trump is a racist, I'm, 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 I mean, if I just, I'm going to start trying to get, I'm going to try to copyright the phrase Trump is a racist and I get a royalty every time the phrase is used, I should be rich, now, he could be a racist. Don't know. What can I judge? What he says and his actions. Nothing more. And people have a hard time doing that because they'll say, they said this, this must be so. David did that. It wasn't so. Everybody get what I just said? What did David do? Commit adultery and murder. What well, wasn't so? It wasn't true that he was a man not after God's own heart. You would have, if you would have judged David's motives and heart, you would have been wrong. That's hard to comprehend, isn't it? Isn't it hard to comprehend? It's hard to, to find that balance. And I don't have an, I don't have it. I, I wish that there was like, you know, I could write a book going, here's the 10 steps. But I mean, I think we've got some pretty good steps, right? What's the first, just, I know we have our, what we talked about this morning in Sunday school. Now we have this morning. Let's kind of go through this morning. I want you to write these. I want you to have these down, right? And you should put these on the refrigerator. And anytime someone in your family offers a judgment, because I know your family is filled with people who judge. Our family, we don't have anyone who judges except Stacy. But, um, other than her, everyone in our family are very non-judgmental people. But judging is, happens in your family all the time, does it not? It, it's in the car. Right? It's everywhere. Okay, so let's go through this from this morning. What would be the first thing we need to keep an absolute big reminder of? Is that our, all of our judgment is flawed. All of our judgment is flawed. All of our judgment is flawed. Just because you, dec- just because you pronounce your judgment doesn't make it so, just because you pronounce your judgment, so I guarantee you, the twins are about to go to college, they'll be there 13 seconds and made 50 judgments on 27,000 different people, right? And it won't be long that they'll be on the phone with mom giving their judgments. And they will pronounce their judgments as if they are true. And they could be wrong. But guess what? They're being judged by others. All of our judgments flawed. That's, everyone who wants to start there, we have to start there. Our judgment is flawed. Everybody got that? Now, we said it this morning. I'll say it again. Number two, we need to remember in some way, the way we judge is the way we will be judged. How that plays out, I don't know. All right? 
That gets into a big theological argument. But there's some principle being played there. I think the main thing to remember is you don't, you, you want to judge people the way you want to be judged. And what do you typically want? Some benefit of the doubt. Agreed? You want some benefit of the doubt. And typically you don't get the benefit of the doubt. You're just told, you're, you know, whatever the case may be. All right, what's the third very important principle that we've kind of hinted at this morning in this hour? Be more concerned with your sin. Be more concerned with your sin. Be more concerned with your sin. When someone else's sin, our first thought is their sin and not our sin. It's the most difficult thing in the world is to be more consumed with your sin than the sins of others. We are almost conditioned to see the flaws in everyone else. Christianity, that's the the dangerous part of Christianity. We We get Christianity, right? We get a Bible, and we feel that it gives us a license to go around going, mm, 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 sinner, mm, mm, sinner, 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 sinner. We feel like now we have the right to make the moral judgment against the entire known world. Well, what it should do is be like a mirror going, oh, I am a sinner. Right? Does that make sense? I cannot stress that enough. Start with yourself. Start with yourself. All right? And I, I guess we'll throw one more in. Don't forget your limitations. We covered all the limitations. We have some serious limitations, do we not? And what's probably the two biggest limitations that we have? Okay, I think knowledge is the first big one, right? We don't know everything. We don't know everything. You think you do, but you don't. You think you do, but you don't. What's another major flaw in us? We tend to see... All we can see is the external. We cannot see the heart. That's a major, that's a major thing we have to remind our, of our short, shortcomings. I'll end with this. This week, I think it was Thursday, maybe Friday, Epstein was found dead in his prison cell. Right? Like this a gigantic story. Gigantic. I mean, my goodness. I can't even begin to tell you the ramifications of all of this. Okay? And within, I think within 30 minutes of the story breaking, maybe within an hour, one of the number one trends on Twitter was Clinton body count. Okay? (laughs) And obviously, and then there were all these memes, and it started going everywhere. And the reason, obviously, is the implication was Bill Clinton had a relationship with Epstein, traveled on his plane, and so the judgment was Epstein was murdered, by the Clintons to cover up their connection with it. And that's everywhere. It's everywhere. Now, everyone's making judgments about it. Everyone's going to make judgments about it. Now, I, 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 degree, I agree that the whole thing is bizarre and crazy. You know, there were supposed to be cameras watching him, but hmm, they weren't working. Okay, that seems odd, right? Lots of, lots of weird things went, went on in this whole case, right? So, but it's hard not to do what? Not to ju- make a judgment. But what we have to do is realize that we are limited in what we... We can, we can gather all the facts. We can look at all the timeline. There's a timeline. We can look at everything that happened, and we can have an opinion. We just got to remember that we're not all-knowing, and we can't start judging motives. It's easy to do so, especially in a political season. Every time a politics, uh, politician speaks, we throw, we judge motive. We judge, judge heart. We, and it's hard not to do. Remember, keep a distinction between ideas Right? Ideas, actions, and the inside of a person. Ideas, actions, and the insides of a person. I want you to make sure you have that down, or we're not leaving, okay? Ideas, actions, and inside the person. If the twins say something and it's an idea, I can... Talk, I can judge the idea and say, well, that's a crazy idea, right? If I see the twins having Joel tied up in a closet, beating him with a baseball bat, 
I think I can probably say, oh, I think your actions are kind of messed up. Right? I can't go beyond much more than that. Right? Agreed? I know you're saying, oh, but I can't. Well, from a biblical can't, can't we, whatever I say about their internal condition, I'm saying it about my own internal condition. That's kind of the point of Romans chapter 2. Right? Now, in the middle of that, why Paul puts the argument for God's judgment in the middle of 1 and 3, he puts it in 2. I don't know why he wouldn't have 1, 3 is 2, and 2 is 3. It makes no sense of his order, but then all of a sudden he's going to remind you, oh, by the way, God judges completely different. God judges based off truth. All right? And so we'll have to see how that plays in. Okay. I know that's very, I, I made it as practical as I could. I still don't know what to do with five, four and five. I still don't know what to do with four and five. But I have kind of an idea, I think. All right. So let's stop. We'll, we'll pray. Lord God, we come before you this morning. Everyone in this room, Lord, we could all come to an altar and confess that we all have judged incorrectly. We've all judged in an unbiblical way and that we all must ask for your help in not judging people in an incorrect way. Forgive us for our wrong judgment. Help us be convicted by this. And maybe when we leave here, we'll be less likely to judge in an incorrect way, not just today, but hopefully moving forward. I know we will fall short of this on a constant basis, but hopefully this will be a good reminder to all of us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. And God's people said. The podcast you just heard was made using Anchor. Ever thought about making your own podcast? Anchor makes it really easy for anyone to get started. It's a one-stop shop for recording, hosting, and distributing podcasts. Best of all, it's 100% free. Sign up now at anchor.fm slash new. That's anchor.fm slash new to get started.